Hello, my friends, and welcome back to yet another episode of Watching the Watchers Live. My name is Robert Govea. I am a criminal defense attorney at the R&R Law Group located in the always beautiful and sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. And today... We've got some business and some headlines to attend to. As you can see, we're going over to our mind map to get our bearings straight. We've got three segments in store for our enjoyment today. First and foremost, we're going to go through the uh, most recent updates in the Trump Mar-a-Lago case. You can see there were a whole slew of filings that hit the docket yesterday. Starting at the top, we're going to take a look at the new sworn inventory. Remember that there was a back and forth about what the FBI took out of Mar-a-Lago and Judge Raymond J. Deary, he came out and he said, I want to know exactly what you took, government prosecutors. And they filed that yesterday. In fact, it, was, it is a sworn inventory. We'll take a look at that. We also had skidding in here right before the show started. Haven't even had a time to barely clip it. But we had the prosecutors asking for an extension of time. And they're actually submitting a pretty decent motion here. I saw that they want Trump to respond because they're talking about how to categorize this spreadsheet and how to really process all of this. And so we're going to go through that. We've also got two filings from the special master, Raymond J. Deary. He has a new expense plan that he's going to detail. And of course, we know how much the media loves the idea that Donald Trump is paying for all of this. So we'll go through that. And we have one of those interim reports. If you recall, Judge Eileen Cannon, the actual judge from the district court, not the special master, said that when the special master was doing his work, his due diligence, that he can provide updates to the court. And we've got one of those updates, an interim report that came out today. So we'll take a look at that. We also then have some news, interesting news. CNN was reporting that Christopher Kesey, Donald Trump's sort of prestigious lawyer, the guy who was, you know, very, very high up there in Florida, they said that he got sidelined, you know, that he's out of there, like something happened and there's a, a jockeying of the horses, as it were. And you can see that he is going to respond to that. We'll take a look. There was a little bit of drama there on the Twitter sphere today. Before, of course, we check in with, you know, Alina. Alina is here. We've got two different clips from her because why not? She is asked about expecting indictments, whether or not she thinks that they are going to, in fact, charge Trump with a crime. We'll see. And we've also got a question to her. How is Trump doing? You know, how's he doing with all this? Kind of a lot of pressure. You've got Tishy, Letitia James. You've got all sorts of uh, lawsuits and investigations all over the country. How is Trump? We'll check in with Alina and see what she has to say about that. Then we're going to turn our attention over to our friends in Florida, that one Florida man out there, because they are bracing for impact. Hurricane Ian is right around the corner, maybe making sort of a windfall, landfall, you know, tonight, tomorrow, uh, you know, it sort of depends how you measure it, but it's going to be a rough one there in Florida. And people are asking Joe Biden about that. They're saying, hey, are you going to be involved in this? You know, are you going to be like a leader, like a president? Are you going to call Ron DeSantis? And evidently not, not going to happen. So we have some clips from Corrine Jean-Pierre. She tells us who the president did call. And we also have a couple clips from FEMA. And uh, they're going to be, you know, trying to explain why they don't have to call Ron DeSantis. But Puerto Rico is also in trouble, and we'll check in over there. We've got Puerto Rico that is having some issues with uh, electricity, and there's a boat floating around outside of Puerto Rico that's full of fuel, 
And the Biden administration is apparently not granting a waiver to allow them to power their island. And so we'll take a look at all of that before we jump into our third segment, which is going to be all about the Nord Stream. This very interesting little uh, story this morning when we were all waking up and we had a, a morning session for the members here when we opened up an unboxing, but we were talking about some of this. The Nord Stream 2 pipeline kind of has a bit of a leak. Looks like this in the ocean over there. And it's uh, kind of a big one, you know, not one of those little leaks. So we'll go through this story because there is some interesting clips that are circulating now. Joe Biden saying that maybe they were going to destroy the pipeline. And Victoria Nuland saying, no, maybe we're going to destroy the pipeline. And so we had some questions and we put a poll over there at watchingthewatchers.locals.com to see what you think. Who took out the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? Was it? The United States? What? We've got people thanking the United States. This this MEP, this this member of the European Parliament, guy's name is Radic, and he says, "Thank you, United States, for blowing up the pipeline." So, all right, well, so we've got some interesting stuff to attend to, and as usual, my friends, if you want to be a part of the program, the best place to do that is over at watchingthewatchers.locals.com. We have an amazing community over there. We got to hang out this morning and we had actually we have a newest member of our community who joined the watching the watchers.locals.com community. Here he is. Hey, come on over here. Get over here. We, we had an unboxing this morning. He's going to make his appearance. Oh, here he is. Oh, hi. It's Trumpy Bear. Oh, yeah. We had an unboxing of old Trumpy Bear this morning. And so he came out. That's some of the fun stuff that we do over at watching the watchers.locals.com. And uh, go have a seat over there. Thanks, buddy. Hang out. We've got a show. Yeah, if you have anything, yeah, come on any, anytime. Come on over. And so uh, we had that over at watchingthewatchers.locals.com. And thank you to Zach for sending that over. Really enjoyed it. Had fun with you guys this morning. You can also join and get access to all those extra goodies if you click the join button, which is right next to the subscribe button on YouTube. You get access to those walk and talks and some of that extra stuff as well. Lastly, I am a criminal defense lawyer over at the R&R Law Group located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and our mission is to help good people charged with crimes find safety, clarity, and hope not only in their cases, but beyond that in their lives. So if you know anybody in the state of Arizona who needs help, who's in charge with a crime, in trouble, any type of crime, any type of traffic offense, anything, we can help 480-787-0394 and we will... Uh, of course, do our very best to help you. And I wanted to remind you also, yesterday we had our first announcement that the ericshouse.org annual fundraiser is in full effect right now. And you guys were so incredibly generous. Look, I added up all the numbers last night and there was over $780 contributed from everybody, all of you, $780. And so I matched that with... uh, another $750. And so we have a donation of about a 1500 bucks that went over to ericshouse.org. And if you'd like to contribute, the link is down in the description. And I also found a way to make this uh, so that you can just all the super chats and everything go over there, but I'm waiting for YouTube to approve the fundraiser thing officially. But, uh, but anyways, thank you so much. And so the link is in the description below all super chats, any tips, donations, they're all going out to Eric's house between now and October 8th. And I'm going to be Uh, also matching those. And I'd encourage you to go over to the link in the description below, because uh, if you donate through the description, you you know, it's all tax deductible and all that stuff. But you may also get a little bit of a note from my mother. My mom said, I can't believe you're promoting this on your show. 
incredible. And she said, you know, well, you know, what, what can I do? What can I do to say thank you to everybody and all this stuff? And so if you go through the official page, you know, you'll probably get a note from her or something. She's super excited about it. So thank you very much for uh, making the good work at Eric's house even more good, better with your funding and your donations. All right. And so thank you for that. Now let's cue this up and get into real, a real serious conversation about real serious business. All right. We have here the Trump prosecutors, the same people who are prosecuting him for the documents at Mar-a-Lago have now submitted some additional documents, one of which is a request for an extension of time. Government prosecutors saying, hey, we've got a lot of documents that we ransacked out of the president's personal residence, and we need more time to go through all of this. And so we'll take a look at that. And a lot of this is surrounding the inventory that they said was accurate because remember after they took the boxes out of Trump's residence, they were supposed to tell him what they took. They said, we took Melania's brazier. We took uh, Trump's passport. We took all of these other documents, these clippings and magazines and so on. And there were a hundred or so problematic documents, the classified documents out of 11,000, but Trump's defense, they want to know what they actually took. And so judge Raymond Deary came out and he said, listen, Before this starts, and before we get into this a whole lot further, Raymond Deary said, I need you prosecutors to tell me what you actually have, right? Officially, on the record, sworn under oath, because we're going to compare against your list. We're going to give your list over to Trump, and he's going to be able to tell us whether or not he agrees with your list. So let's start there. The prosecutor's sworn inventory list is here, and you can see filed out of the Southern District of Florida, West Palm Beach. It's 10 pages long, but as these documents are, there's going to be a lot of tables and sort of just lists so we can go through it relatively quickly. Donald Trump versus United States of America. This is an affidavit regarding the detailed inventory that was ordered by the special master, right? This We want this now clarified for us. So this individual whose name is redacted, don't know who it is, but he says, okay, judge, I'm a special agent with the FBI and the DOJ currently assigned to the counterintelligence so-called division at the FBI. As a supervisory special agent, I lead a squad of FBI special agents and so-called intelligence analysts and other supporting personnel in conducting counterintelligence and espionage investigations, including investigations concerning the mishandling of classified national defense information. So again, you see, you know, this person is probably a very qualified person and he's dealing with some overdue library books that were in Trump's storage room. He says, I make this declaration in response to the special master's case management plan that was filed back on September 22nd, which ordered me or somebody to submit a declaration that details and represents the full and accurate extent of the property that was seized over at Trump's residence. He's saying, all right, you ordered me to do it. I'm doing it. The squad that I supervise had primary responsibility for the execution of the search warrant on August 8th. So this guy led this whole thing. I was present during the execution of the search warrant, which resulted in the seizure of 33 boxes, containers, and other items of evidence, which contained just over 100 records with classification markings marked top secret. Right again, there's the number. That's the that's the problem number. Now, if you remember, when all of this happened, they told us there were headlines all over the place. 11,000 documents, 11,200 documents. Oh my gosh. They're really concerned about 100 of them. Since the execution of the search, the seized materials have remained in the custody of the FBI and they've been maintained pursuant to FBI procedures governing the storage of evidence. 
Following the execution of the search, I and other FBI personnel working under my direction began to review the seized materials as part of our investigation. And this was all done pursuant to court orders. The FBI agent, he says, in order to ensure that the detailed property inventory was accurate, I and FBI personnel working under my direction conducted an additional review and a recount of the seized materials in order to make this declaration. So he says, we double checked our work is what that says. That additional review and recount resulted in some minor revisions to the detailed property inventory. <gasps> oh, you mean that your first go through wasn't that accurate? Oh, very interesting. Minor revisions. You see how these FBI agent and government prosecutors do this stuff? Minor revisions. All right, let's see what it is. Any minor revision is a big, gigantic revision. If you're a defense lawyer, you don't ever let that go, obviously. Oh, no, you made a mistake. Your original report was inaccurate. You guys are incompetent and or liars. Which one? It's number seven. Based on my personal awareness and knowledge of the facts of this matter, as well as my review of the FBI records and conversations with those working at my direction in this investigation, the revised detailed property inventory attached hereto represents the full and accurate extent of the property seized on the premises. Okay, so this is it. I checked, I double checked. First time wasn't that great, but the second time is much better. I am not aware of any documents or material seized on the premises that day that are not reflected in the report other than the materials that the privilege review team has already got. I declare under the penalty of perjury that the following is true and accurate. Now he is giving us a footnote here, footnote two, the case management requirement that I provide this declaration required that we completed this quickly in a single day. So we'll get into the inventory. There was another footnote here. Footnote one was dropped off on here under the case management plan. He's commenting on the case management plan says, as the special master and the court are aware, the search warrant executed at the premises on August 8th set forth filter procedures. Okay, so we we'll can skip that. Now here is the actual list, right? This is the revised detailed property inventory. It is much the same that we've already seen previously, so we can fly through most of this. And this resembles, yeah, this resembles, I think, the same thing that we talked about previously. So take a look at this. Item number one, we've got secret classification markings and without classification markings. So one bad document, two not so bad documents. Then in item number two, like box number two, a box from the office, now you see 43 empty folders, another empty folder, uh, documents without classification markings. And then this is a problematic box. So 2, 15, and 7 all have these classification markings. But there were also 99 magazines in there, right, that were also apparently not confidential. So you see that this box had, it looks like, I can't do the ratio or the math, but just look at that, right? It's, it's small numbers there. We have more boxes. There were two documents out of this 26 plus 361. So in this another, you know, this separate box, 361 documents without classification markings, 396 documents without classification markings. Box number six, 671 documents without classification markings. Item seven, no classification, right? This goes on and on and on. We can do this all day. But there were just a couple things that were sort of problematic here. Another box, 
This one box had 91 magazines, one article of a clothing or a gift, gift item, and 65 items that did not have classification markings. So why did they take this box then? A box and a container from a storage room. There was nothing in there that was problematic. Why'd they take it? Because they wanted to, and the judge gave them permission. There was nothing in there, even from their own inventory, that is problematic. Here, they've got 30 magazines. This box also has some problematic things in it. But relative to the other, you know, I mean, like the 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 ratio, 116 magazines, 110 without classification markings, and then you've got 11 in the entirety that are problematic, right? So they're just going around and they're taking this box, again, another box, 39 magazines, 71 without classification markings. Why was box 12 taken? I don't know. But you can see the rest of this here. I, I do know why it was taken. It's because it was right next to the boxes that had the classification documents in it. And Judge Reinhardt said that they can do whatever they want. If they see a problem, let's say in a desk, if they open the middle desk drawer and there's, oh, a confidential empty folder in there or whatever, they get to take the whole stinking desk because the search warrant was so broad and it had no particularity that it was enabled, it enabled the government to do that. You can see the rest of this. Now, as we already saw, there were some minor revisions, and I'm not going to go through here and do a compare and contrast and take a look at item 33 versus the other items, But and I don't need to. Somebody else has already done that. In fact, this very astute journalist over from the Epoch Times, Zachary Stieber, is writing for us, and he tells us a little bit more about the documents that were seized from Trump's estate. And he tells us 63 additional documents or photographs without classification markings were taken from Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort in addition to what was previously listed, right? So 63 documents are now a part of the inventory. The revised inventory was submitted to the federal judge and we just read through all of that. And so we had 63 documents that are in this list that were not in the other list. 63 of them. Hmm. Well, okay. It's not like one or two got missed. It's a whole box, a whole folder, a whole, I don't know. But 63 documents are now added to the list. Very interesting. And so that list will be sent over to Donald Trump and his team, and they'll do their review, and they'll corroborate or challenge the government's list. Government prosecutors also requested an extension of time. They say that they need more time to do a whole bunch of things. Let's take a look. This letter sent September 27th, five pages by government prosecutors over to Judge Raymond J. Deary, the special master presiding over the Trump Mar-a-Lago case. Prosecutors say, hey, judge, dear special master, we're here now. We've got a motion to modify and adopt the amend amended case management plan. The prosecutors tell the judge, Special Master Raymond Deary, Judge, we're here. We would like to amend the case management plan, and here's why. They say, Judge, Donald Trump informed us this morning that none of the five document review vendors proposed by the government were willing to be engaged by Trump. Oh, do you see that? The government submitted proposed vendors to go through these 11,000 documents. Donald Trump's lawyers reached out and tried to contact those vendors 
And they said, we're not going to work with you, Donald Trump. And I'm pretty sure we called that one. Because they know that if they do, they're going to get an onslaught of visceral attacks from the left. So the government says, uh, to avoid further delay in the vendors scanning and processing the seized materials, the government issued a request for a task order this afternoon with a deadline of tomorrow at noon. Based on its prior experience and discussion today with vendors, the government is highly confident that at least one vendor will respond and that it will be able to agree and contract this job. Based on the applicable procurement regulations, the government is not able to, if the government is not able to select, the government expects a plaintiff, Trump, to pay for the invoices when rendered. This is interesting. So the prosecutor is saying, judge, Trump can't find anybody to work with him. No problem. We're going to take this in-house. We've got people who will work for us. So we're going to send it over to them and have them do it. And we expect Trump to pay the bill. Wonder what that bill is going to look like. The government says because the vendors have not yet made their submissions, the government does not yet know precisely when the vendor will be able to scan, process and host and make available to Trump and the special masters all the copies of the material. They say in selecting a vendor, the government will place a great weight on coming closest to meeting the deadline in the case management plan, which is this Friday, September 30th. They're saying, judge, we're trying to get this all cataloged like right away. But we're going to be running in against the clock on this. Based on its prior experience and discussions today with vendors and the small volume of documents, the government believes that the selected vendor will be able to make a rolling production beginning as early as this Friday, September 30th, and then complete production no later than the following Friday, October 7th. The government will seek to have the vendor complete the scanning of all seized materials as early as possible next week. So the government is asking the judge, Raymond, Special Master Raymond J. Deary, to adjust the amended case management plan to today's development. We're now asking that you modify those dates and the government will report on the vendor's progress. They say that the government shared the paragraphs in this section with plaintiff's counsel before filing, and the plaintiff agrees to the government's proposed way forward in principle. And to avoid asking for further extension, they say that Trump's team suggests the selection deadline be reset to September 29th with rolling production starting on October 3rd and completed by October 10th. So a little bit of dates. Prosecutors tell Judge Deary, they say, In light of this substantial change in the party contracting with the vendor, the government respectfully requests that the special master adopt the government's proposed reset deadlines and hopes that the special master will consider potential brief extensions if needed. The government has already provided updates as ordered. Now, we have another section about executive privilege. Remember that a big portion of the documents that were taken out of Trump's home were executively privileged, according to him. And as the president, as the former chief executive, you've got all sorts of executive privilege. It's codified. It's it's in our jurisprudence. And so there's a big question about the special master and about these filter teams and about these document vendors and about everybody who's rummaging through all these documents. What happens if they read all of this material that was supposed to be executively privileged? 
Prosecutors say that the amended case management plan requires Trump to provide the special master and the government a spreadsheet where Trump asserts on a document-by-document basis whether a document is subject to executive privilege, right? The, the special master said, you go through Trump and you, line by line, every one of those 1,100 documents, or I'm sorry, 11,000 documents, are these privileged, yes or no? Put it in a spreadsheet and send it over. The prosecutors say that the government has no objection to Trump making executive privilege assertion in section C and D. For its part, the government maintains the position that it has taken in other courts. That a former president may not successfully assert executive privilege against the prior executive branch. Saying that Trump loses his executive privilege because he's asserting it against another executive agency. That if they demonstrate a specific need for something, that they override Trump's privilege, right? The incoming administration has a hierarchy and is above the outgoing administration. The argument that the government is making here is because they need it. They say, we're in charge here. We're running the ship. We're driving the boat, baby. We need the map. Trump has the map. If it's in his residence, I get to go get it and take a look at it because I need it. I'm driving. And then Trump says, you don't need any of that stuff. It's mine. It's executively privileged. You can't see it. And I have those privileges in place as the executive so that I can conduct my affairs as an executive, right? There are reasons we have attorney-client privilege and executive privilege and all sorts of doctor-client confidentiality, right? We want open and free conversations to take place and we protect those privileges strenuously. So Trump makes objections. The government says Trump makes three objections to this new plan, Judge. Although the three objections are different, prosecutors say they're all without marriage. These are all garbage. It doesn't matter which one you take, Judge. Let me explain. They say, first, contrary to Trump's objection, the verification required by Trump of the detailed property inventory is a condition precedent to the document categorization in the privilege review. The special master needs to know that he is reviewing all the materials seized from Mar-a-Lago and no additional materials before he categorizes the documents and adjudicates the claims. Saying that we have to get these labels in place first before the special master knows what to do with these things. The special master, if he's looking at a spreadsheet and it doesn't have details about executive privilege or not, he's sort of in the dark because he doesn't know what to do with those documents. Because what if they are executively privileged or not? It's, in other words, it's dispositive the category of the privilege matters big time. Prosecutors also say that the amended case management plan has six categories and the appointment order four isn't entirely a function of the fact that four categories in the appointment order speak of privilege in general and do not differentiate between attorney, client, and executive privilege, saying that plaintiff objection has no logical basis. Third, they say the special master's request for a briefing on a particular point of law is consistent with the order. The government will brief that point of law, and they say it behooves Trump to brief that point as well. Should we separate executive privilege from attorney-client privilege? Are there different legal basis and points of law that cause different analysis or different buckets where those documents go? Government says, we have a position. Trump, you better brief it yourself. You might have a different position. 
The prosecutors say that Trump brought this civil and equitable proceeding, so he bears the burden of proof. If he wants the special master to make recommendations as to whether he is entitled to the relief he seeks, they say Trump is going to need to participate in the process by categorizing the documents and providing swore declarations as the amended case management plan contemplates. Saying Trump better do something here. Uh, Otherwise, judge, there's not much we can do. Thank you for your consideration. Juan Antonio Gonzalez, United States attorney. Also joined by Jay Bratt from the counterintelligence division certificate of service attached all of this, of course, being submitted to ask for some additional time for the government to rummage through the rest of the documents and categorize things appropriately. And they're asking for an extension of time. Now, Trump, of course, some of his objections have been detailed there, but we'll see if there's any new filings in the court when that happens. Meanwhile, we know that the special master, Raymond J. Deary, also has some other business to attend to. Judge Eileen Cannon gave the special master permission to file interim reports as well as expense reports. And Judge Raymond Deary did file an interim expense report. Let's take a look at that one. This is the inter- just an interim report. This is the interim report from special master Raymond J. Deary. It's three pages long. This is an update going over to Judge Eileen Cannon. And the judge sort of has the ability to do something with this or to not do something with this. The judge can just say, well, I'll take your recommendations and file them right in this drawer. Or the judge can issue some new orders as a result of the recommendations. You can see this is the interim report and recommendation number one. It says, pursuant to the special master order that's appointing me, Raymond Deary, he says, judge, I'm doing what you've asked me to do. I'm providing an interim report and recommendation. Raymond Deary explains, judge, pursuant to the amended case management plan, we have a final revised detailed property inventory submitted, sworn by the FBI. He says, judge, look. The information in the revised detailed property inventory differs in some respects from the information in the government's previously filed property inventory filed at docket 39.1. It's a little bit different, just so you know. 63 documents, give or take, that they missed the first go-round. Deary tells Judge Cannon, They say Trump's deadline for submitting a declaration or an affidavit contesting the government's inventory is currently scheduled for September 30th. However, in light of the delays in retaining a vendor to digitize these materials, we granted an extension of time. So now Trump's deadline for submitting this stuff is extended to October 7th, and the government can file a response back in October 14th. Judge Deary explains to Cannon, in light of the delays in selecting a document review vendor, the undersigned extended the deadlines for the parties to review and exchange positions as to privilege assertions with respect to most of the seized materials. The amended plan did not alter the original plan's deadlines for reviewing and exchanging positions as to the privilege assertion and the filter materials. So we're just only focused on that batch of documents that is going through the vendor. We're not really focused on the privilege stuff or the filter materials, those are with a different team. Deary tells Judge Cannon, the undersigned is today separately submitting a proposal for money and also asks the judge, says, judge, 
In the original order appointing the order, appointing me, the court directed the special master, quote, shall submit interim reports and recommendations as appropriate upon receipt and resolution of any interim reports and recommendations. The court will consider prompt adjustments to the court orders as necessary. However, the judge says, judge, you know, you put that in your original order saying, you know, that you're going to do all of this stuff. You put that in there. But however, Judge Deary says, you know, this case went up to the 11th Circuit and they say the court, Judge Cannon, later struck that language as part of its order implementing an unrelated ruling by the 11th Circuit. And we covered that here. Remember, Judge Eileen Cannon opened up her original order that gave the special master all of those privileges, saying, special master, you get the 100 documents. Special master, you have the power to tell the government to stop their criminal prosecution. The 11th Circuit came out and said, nope. Uh, sorry, special master, you don't get those 100 documents and the government can move forward with their prosecution. And so Judge Cannon went back to the original order and said, okay, I know I gave you the power to do those four things. Sorry, those first two, they got to go. And so she went back and she struck them, right? She actually struck those out. And so Deary is saying, you know, when you did that, you kind of struck through some of the language that kind of impacts my job here. And so I need some clarification. He says, as the language quoted above in the interim reports and adjustments to prior orders, they say, They say it is consistent with the 11th Circuit's ruling about the efficient administration of justice. And so the undersigned respectfully recommends that the court issue an order reinstating that language. Okay, so in other words, saying, Judge Cannon, you said that I don't have to provide these interim reports. You sort of struck it. You said I had to, and then you said I didn't have to. And now I'm sort of recommending you tell me to do it again. The interim report and recommendations shall be filed on the docket and deemed served on each party. The parties may file objections, modify any of these orders. Failure to object is a waiver of the objection entered by Raymond J. Deary. Okay, so what he's saying to both parties, to the prosecutors and to Trump's defense team, this is my report to Judge Cannon. If you have a problem with anything I put in here, like if I put a summary in here that you disagree with, if I say, not in this particular case, but in the future, if, if, if Raymond characterizes Trump's actions or the prosecutor's actions in a certain way, then they can object to that and say, that's not what happened at all, Judge Cannon. Raymond Deary, this is what I think happened in our special master proceeding. So that is the very first special master interim report and recommendation. And Judge Cannon is sort of taking it under advisement. She says, okay, well, thank you for your recommendation. This is the minute entry that entered into the court docket, entry number 120, September 27th, from Judge Eileen Cannon. Cannon just got this interim report from the special master saying, here's my recommendation. And Judge Cannon responded and said, the court takes no other action at this time, recognizing that the special master authorizes, that the order appointing the special master authorizes the special master to file reports and make recommendations as appropriate, right? So that's the only little clarification that we got. Cannon said, yes, you wanted me to tell you you can file reports. I'm telling you, you can file reports. Otherwise, not doing anything else. Thanks for those updates. And that's what we get out of Judge Cannon. So not a whole lot there. Judge Deary, the special master, also submitted a new expense plan because we know that you got to get paid if you're being a special master on the Trump Mar-a-Lago case. And we also know that Trump is paying for this whole puppy. Two-page order or request proposal, rather, 
comes in from Raymond J. Deary. He says, all right, judge, you issued an order telling me to talk about staffing, compensation, and expense proposals, and we notified the parties as follows. They said that they sent this over to Trump's team. They said, hey, Trump, uh, the special master has determined that we need this guy, James Orstein, to come in here and help us with this case. They say he's very important. He's got all sorts of experience and he's going to seek no additional compensation in performing the duties of special master in action. But they say the undersigned proposes that Judge Ornstein shall be compensated at an hourly rate of $500 an hour. Not bad. The undersigned further proposes that the special master will provide the parties with monthly invoices starting on October 1st, setting forth the hours. Trump shall notify the undersigned, Raymond Deary. So if Trump doesn't like a bill, he sends this over to Raymond Deary and he says, what are you billing me for? What is this for? This is ridiculous. Otherwise, Trump's got to pay in full. And if he doesn't, oh boy, there's going to be sanctions. And failure to make a timely payment is going to be deemed a violation of the special master's order. They say no party has submitted any comment to this proposal. And so, Judge, I'm sending this to you for your approval. $500 an hour. That's not bad. It's pretty good. You know. Yeah, pretty good day. <laughs> pretty good day. Uh, not too bad. So uh, Raymond J. Deary now making recommendations and Trump, of course, is going to have to come out of pocket to pay for that one. And I'm sure the judge will approve that $500 for somebody with that. You know, I mean, I know lawyers who, you know, 2000 an hour, $500. It's not that much, uh, you know, for somebody with that much experience. I mean, what do you think uh, GM's was paying for her lawyers? Not $500 an hour. I'll tell you that probably two grand. Ridiculous. All right. Anyways, we've got more to get into. Headlines making the waves across the internet. People wondering, is Donald Trump's newest lawyer, one of the most prestigious on the team, Christopher Kesey? Has he been sidelined? Is he still on the team? Well, CNN is reporting that he was, in fact, sidelined. We'll see if that's true or not. But they published this September 27th. They say the newest addition to Trump's legal team is sidelined in the Mar-a-Lago search case. What? When did that happen? We've been following this case for quite some time and we weren't aware of this. The newest addition, says CNN, to Trump's legal team, Christopher Keyes, has been sidelined from the investigation less than one month after he was brought in to represent Donald Trump in the matter. Where does this come from? Well, two sources familiar with the move tell CNN. Okay. They say Kesey is expected to remain on Trump's legal team, but is not leading the work related to the government investigation into the seizure of 11,000 documents. You see how they do this? They're still doing this. Seizure of 11,000 documents. Most of those, actually, I mean, arguably, 10,900 of those were not problematic at all, right? It's the 100 confidential documents that they've got concerns about. Saying that he has now been uh, sort of sidelined, sent to the back. So the reason for the shift in Kesey's role remains unclear, and he may instead focus his efforts on other investigations, which range from his business practices to the January 6th insurrection. And CNN says the move is notable. Given Kesey, the former solicitor general from Florida was brought onto the team after a week's long search and a struggle to find someone willing to take on the case. The legal strategy for fighting the Justice Department over 100 documents, there it is, Marked as classified. So they, they, they use 11,000 documents uh, first, and then they drop it down to 100 documents. 
Kesey came with an unusual price tag of $3 million? Woo! That, see, that's what I'm talking about. That's the type of money. That, you know, that's not $500 an hour uh, legal represent. That's nothing. $3 million. <laughs> $3 million? Oh my gosh. For Trump's outside spending arm. Uh, the retainer fee paid up front raised eyebrows among other lawyers on Trump's team, given the former president has developed a reputation for not paying his legal fees. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, that's some serious... That, that's the kind of money that'll make your eyeball... What? Yeah, holy moly. I, I, can you imagine that? Jeez, my goodness. Yeah, come into my office. Uh, hey, uh, I, I asked my team, you know, uh, we're going to hire this guy. Uh, what's the fee agreement for? $3 million. You want to put that on a credit card? <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So uh, Kesey did not respond to a request for comment, right, on that one. But he did actually comment about this. He said, uh, the the talk about my death has been greatly exaggerated. We have Josh. Uh, what did I just do here? Got to be careful when I'm clicking around rapid fire over here. Christopher Kesey comments on the rumors that he is off the Trump legal team, and it's not looking accurate. What is going on here with this? Okay, so here, here it is. Let's get to this one here. Here's the post. Josh Dowsey over from the Washington Post is responding, saying that Christopher Kesey is not actually off the main part of Trump's case, saying that he's doing the Mar-a-Lago documents case for Trump. Christopher Key says he's still going to do it. He says, quote, to borrow from Mark Twain, the report of my death is an exaggeration, he says. So I guess the headline is CNN's wrong again. I don't know, right? There he is. Josh Dobsey, Washington Post, reporting differently than CNN. So who knows what's going on over there, but you know, three million bucks, you would imagine he can handle a lot of cases for that type of fee. Good Lord. Donald Trump's defense lawyer, Alina Abba, also asked questions about Trump's future. She's on with Newsmax being asked about the strategy from the DOJ. Are they going to prosecute Donald Trump? You know, they've been investigating him. They've raided his home. They've got affidavits and inventory lists and all sorts of things flying all over the place. But is this going to lead to a criminal indictment? Are there going to be charges? Will this ultimately bubble into a prosecution? Uh, do you think there's an indictment? Do you think that Donald Trump is indicted based on whatever the DOJ finds here? You know what? If they're going to indict somebody over library books, they're, they're, they really need some perspective. There's no, that I don't line. Think so. okay. I think we need to start talking to the DOJ for their benefit and to just clear this up and whatever confusion is going on. OK, Elena Haba, uh, great to see you again. Thanks so much for coming out. And she says that the DOJ would be ridiculous to pursue this, which is a point that, yeah, we've made here many times. The, this DOJ is ridiculous to pursue this, but they have pursued it. They raided his residence. Do we think that they're just going to reverse course and say, oh, I guess that was enough? I would think so, right? That was sort of the optimistic take on all of this until Biden came out and started calling MAGA Republicans the death of America. So we'll see. I'm not so sure that the DOJ is going to come to their senses. Alina Abba seems to think so. But Alina also gets asked an important question about Trump. Defense lawyer Alina is now asked, how is Trump doing? You know, he's facing all sorts of litigation all around the country. And is he 
managing it well. Uh, but at some point, Elena, this has got to take a toll on just somebody's psyche. Uh, all these lawsuits, all these jurisdictions. Uh, how's he doing? I, I hate to burst everybody's bubble, but, you know, they and, and when I say everybody, I mean the DNC, the left <laughs> whipping right. uh, attackers. But I can tell you, I was with him a couple of days ago. He is his usual self. He is in great spirits. He is, you know, out there working. He is on the golf course. He is doing what he would normally do. And um, quite honestly, really optimistic for the midterm elections hey. and optimistic for the country's future post-Biden regime. Right. Um, and I think that's what makes a leader. You can't get down when the country is failing and you're under siege. You have, you have to get up. He said this in his rally. You get up and you fight. And then you get up again and you keep punching. And that is uh, the former President Trump. That's who he is. Yeah, I'll be... Uh... And Trump is uh, but certainly some... capturing all of the attention. He is keeping his head up. That's something that I think he has always done. You know, there's been many times watching Trump where even when he was president, you'd sort of look around and you'd say, man, this is really bad. The walls are closing in. They've been saying that since 2016. Trump's going to get indicted. This is the end of Trump. Every day you wake up, he's going to the walls are closing in. It's over for him. He's going to lose. Andrew Weissman you know, has been waking up saying the same mantra. Today's the day. Today's the day. Today's the day for like four years, five years now. So I'm not so sure that that day will ultimately come for them. But of course, we will wait and see. That is the update on the Mar-a-Lago raid. The Trump saga continues. And of course, we will continue to follow. Thank you for liking and subscribing and joining us as we cover this journey, because there will be much more of it. We know that Donald Trump, he's got some final deadlines due the end of this week. And uh, we'll see what those filings look like. Thank you for subscribing and following us. All right. And so we're changing gears a little bit. We're jumping over to Florida and the East Coast because we have some um, uh, hurricane business to talk about. Hurricane Ian ready to slam into Florida. Many people bracing for that impact. Our friends over there are wondering where their president is. President Biden has refused to call Ron DeSantis. Very interesting because he's called a lot of other people, other governors, when they have been facing tumultuous times. But why not there in Florida? Now, I'm not from Florida, obviously. I'm on the other side of the country. But what we're seeing from the national services looks pretty uh, incredible. Here, this is the summation from the Central Pacific Hurricane Center. Hurricane Ian is looking like this. This is the sort of expected force winds that would be at tropical speeds. And if you're in this purple zone here, you're going to be getting hit. It says you know, about 90% to 100% plus with tropical force storm winds when the hurricane makes landfall. And there was some interesting clips here when I was poking around on this site. Here is the flash flooding potential, right? It's basically most of the uh, the entire state is going to be facing moderate flooding, high at least 70% chance of flooding all the way through Tampa Bay and through Orlando as Hurricane Ian just sort of goes across the entire the entire the entire peninsula. I mean, it's it's incredible. So uh, some some really, you know, shocking numbers you can see here. Rainfall in the amount of inches from the Tampa Bay to the Orlando area is looking like 20 inches, right? In that 15 to 20 inches uh, plus maybe. Talking about 
two feet of rain, right? Two feet of rain smashing into the East Coast over there for that one Florida man. Potential flooding zones, we covered that one. We've got the arrival times taking place from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so big shout outs to all of our friends over there in Florida. And I wanted to just give some locals love to our friends in Florida. Three girlies, shout out to the youngest girlie posted this over there, says, hey, I wanted to post this over there. Uh, Current briefing as of 927, all Florida members, let us know if we can love you up a little bit. If you're there in Florida, head on over to locals. And of course, uh, you know, say, say where you're at. And let us, you know, let us send our prayers and our thoughts your way, because apparently it's not going to be a good couple of days. But the White House that is usually sort of in charge of responding to major domestic catastrophes is under criticism for not calling Governor Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who's responsible for managing the crisis. And we can see that Corrine Jean-Pierre was asked about this at the White House. Corrine comes out and the media wants to know, what are you doing about this? There's a lot of people down there who are going to be hit hard by this hurricane. The federal government's supposed to solve all our problems everywhere for everybody all the time. Are you communicating with Ron DeSantis? Have you called him and asked him, what do you need? Because you are, you know, the president. Here's what Corrine said. The FEMA administrator and I just came out of the Oval Office where the president also held separate calls with Mayor Jane Castor of Tampa, Tampa. Mayor Ken Welch of St. Petersburg, Petersburg, and Mayor Mayor. Frank Hibbard of Clearwater. They discussed planning and preparation for Hurricane Ian. Uh, The the administrator is going to give a little bit more of of our conversation uh, in just a moment. The president underscored his commitment to the people of Florida and made clear that impacted communities will have the full support of the federal government to augment state and local emergency response efforts and emphasize the the importance of encouraging families to heed evacuation orders. There will be a full readout of the calls later today in just a moment, but again, the administrator will actually share a little bit of that readout. Okay, so no phone calls going over to Ron DeSantis. Now, she listed three mayors, and you think, okay, well, mayors are great, local towns and stuff, but, you know, they were probably are calling the governor <laughs> to say, hey, governor, we need some help. We're mayors in this city. And then the governor sort of calls the president. You know, it's one of these things that kind of has been uh, in existence for quite some time. This member of the media asks Corrine Jean-Pierre about this, saying, you know, Uh, President Biden has called a bunch of other people, other governors before. Other presidents have called other governors before. It's kind of a thing that happens. It's just historical precedent. Why is that not happening here? In the past, President um, President Biden, excuse me, has made calls to governors in situations of natural disasters. uh, K.I.V. in Alabama, Asa Hutchinson in Arkansas, Arkansas, um, or uh, the governor in Texas. Is there any, can you articulate, I guess, how those determinations are made and why why it hasn't been made in this case to, to have the president call the governor? Why just not call? Yeah, the, the president is very focused on making oh. sure that the federal family has the right resources available to support this. Um, that is why I contacted the governor right away, and we have a team of my senior leadership that are mm. embedded with the governor to make sure that we're supporting that. Our focus today is making sure that we have the right measures in place to support the life-saving activities that need to happen. Any conversations afterwards will need to be, uh, we need to see what the uh, the damages are. It's because we know that Joe Biden thinks 
that Ron DeSantis is probably a MAGA insurrectionist, which is why he is not going to be called. Now, in other parts of the world, in other parts of the White House, Puerto Rico could use some diesel fuel. They are sitting there. They just got ravaged by a hurricane tropical storm, and they have no power on the entire island and it's been like that for quite some time. Puerto Rican governors are calling on the United States to send some fuel over to the island so that they can turn their electricity back on. Here's the article from C- uh, CBS, which is one of the worst websites I've ever used. Good gosh. Can you get rid of all of this crap? Holy moly. What a garbage website. I'll never use this one again. All right, but they said here, uh, more than a week after Hurricane Fiona struck Puerto Rico, knocking out water and power lines, hundreds of thousands of the island's residents and businesses continued to experience blackouts on Monday. A ship is carrying 300,000 barrels of oil, much-needed diesel fuel, scheduled to arrive at the hard-hit region on Sunday night, but so far has been unable to dock because of restrictions established by a shipping law dating back 100 years. Story was first reported by Las Noticias. The Jones Act requires merchandise traveling between U.S. ports that were primarily built and owned to go through certain regulations, tariff and taxes imposed, and other things. The vessel is currently stalled off the coast of Puerto Rico. It's called the GH Parks. Sailing under the flag of Marshall Islands, the U.S. Coast Guard said. It departed from Texas in in route to another city, and because the ship is sailing under a foreign flag, it must request a Jones Act waiver. Puerto Rican Ports Director has confirmed the ship is carrying 300,000 barrels of diesel, and that a request was pending late on Sunday. And so we have this very dire situation where there's tons of people on the island. There is no electricity at all. And you have this boat that is just floating around at sea with 300,000s of diesel fuel just sitting there. But because it has the wrong flag on it, it cannot be docked at port in Puerto Rico to provide 300,000 gallons of diesel. So... Why not? Is it just as simple as authorizing a waiver? Even the Democrats are calling on the Biden administration to wake up and do something. Here is this House representative gentleman on with MSNBC explaining what a catastrophe this is. And all they need is just a waiver from the Biden. Somebody wake him up. There's a ship that's prepared to deliver diesel to Puerto Rico in its moment of greatest need. But the ship is prohibited by the Jones Act from delivering the diesel because it has a foreign flag rather than an American flag. And so a number of colleagues and I have called upon President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas to grant an emergency waiver to Puerto Rico with respect to the Jones Act. We're not calling for the repeal of the Jones Act. We're calling for an emergency waiver in the midst of a major disaster that has ravaged the island. So just and so wave it. What are the steps that need to be taken so that this emergency waiver can, in effect, be granted and then this ship able to bring that diesel in? I mean, it's kind of important here. Yeah, it's just floating out there in the sea. Look, in the short term, we are convinced that the president has the authority to grant a waiver on an emergency basis. Uh, but the longer term solution lies in rebuilding the grid. The federal government has to leverage every tool at its disposal okay. to expedite the rebuilding of the grid which I consider the most dire infrastructure need in the United States. It's a matter of life and death. Tens of thousands of people on the island without any electricity 
This representative says all they need to do is just issue that waiver. The ship can dock and get things going. For some reason, the incompetent Biden administration can't figure it out. Here is the FEMA administrator who is asked about this saying, hey, you know, there's people who are dying over there. There are people in hospitals who are wasting away. Can you just let the ship dock for crying out loud? Here's what she said. Has the administration or will the administration waive the Jones Act that would allow for a diesel carrying ship to dock there in Puerto Rico to help provide necessary provisions of, of diesel oil to those there? Yeah, we are committed to doing everything that we can within no. our legal authority to support oh. the people of Puerto Rico. And we know that the Jones Act waiver is one of those things. We have a legal obligation to ensure that each waiver request meets the legal requirements of Congress. And so any final determination on that will be made by the Secretary of Homeland Security. While they care about Congress now, they ask Congress to do certain things before they just start taking action. But they didn't ask Congress for student loans, for example. They didn't ask Congress to make changes to uh, CDC regulations that prohibit people from exercising property rights. They didn't ask Congress for all sorts of things. But now they have to really slow things down. And we got to wait. Hold on a minute now. We don't want to let a ship dock somewhere and violate some law somewhere in the United States. This is the total failure of government action. Could you imagine being on that island and some idiot bureaucrat in Washington is sitting around saying, hold on a minute, let me look up the law. Meanwhile, there's a ship out there, 300,000 gallons of diesel. There's people dying all across the island and they're just floating around out here. This federal emergency management person is out there. Well, we've got to follow the law out there, you know, because they can't figure it out. But when it's election season and they want to just grant people checks of $10,000 to waive their student loans, they just put it out in an executive order. They don't care. They don't do anything. Given the pressure we've heard from the Puerto Ricans and the governor in that, uh, in that territory right now, what time frame should they anticipate that decision should be made given the urgent need for that? I, I know that they are actively working on that um, approval process or that consideration right now. Um, and so I don't have a time frame for you right now. No time frame for, for you. Can you compare and contrast this with Donald Trump? Honestly, it would be obvious. Okay, Donald Trump would say, just dock it. Just dock it right now. Just tell them the president said to dock it. And they would dock it. That would be the end of it, right? And then everybody else would figure it out after the fact. And, you know, you'd have a bunch of people in the left screaming about, you know, oh, Trump's a lawbreaker and all this crap. These people will break, they will dump over the rules every single time if they can help it. So it begs the question, why, why here? Why are they letting these poor people in Puerto Rico suffer? So that they are in compliance with the law for a lawless administration? Something rotten and evil about these people. I'm not sure what it is, but... Anyways, yeah, and they care about, yeah, okay, anyways, the whole point is rotten people in charge, nothing is getting done because our government is mostly filled with incompetent failure bureaucrats who have eviscerated, evaporated America's ability for state capacity. Totally embarrassing. We'll continue to follow though, and thanks for joining us as we do. <laughs> All right, and so we've got one final segment left before we jump into your questions and comments throughout the day, my friends. And let's take a little quick uh, uh, parchment break so that our mouths don't turn into parchment. Did you hear somebody open a can that on that last clip we watched? Did you hear that? Somebody open a can in the background like I just did on that clip? I don't know if you heard it or not. But cheers, my friends. Today, we've got some lime bubbly. Cheers. Before we get into our last segment, 
we're talking about the Nord Stream sabotage that took place today. And uh, we'll see what uh, what we can learn about these uh, very interesting uh, developments. Let's do it, shall we? The Nord Stream pipelines coming under scrutiny. Many people talking about sabotage. Did somebody take these pipelines out? It's starting to look like that. Europe saying that these were attacks and these were attacks on the Russian gas pipelines. We'll take a look at what is going on here. But first, here is the helicopter footage of one of the leaks that was bubbling up from this pipeline that runs underneath the ocean. It was zooming around and sort of following this. And you can see this little disturbance on the top of the ocean there. He zooms in and you see a disturbance at the surface. That's the gas coming out of the pipeline underneath the ocean bubbling up, right? Causing this, this difference in discoloration there on the surface of the ocean. And as they zoom in a little bit, you can see, right? It's actually frothy and it's bubbling all over the place. It looks like a pretty serious leak. Like, not like it's just a pinhole leak. Looks like a pipe was open and you have this froth. In fact, there's two, two, uh, two separate bubbles here, like two separate geysers. There's one here and there's one over here that are bubbling up there in the ocean. Let's see. As we zoom out, you can see what it looks like, right? So that's a lot of release into that body of water. And that was taken by, I believe, a military helicopter that was circling in the area. Here is, hold on a second. Let's get this one up also. More photographs of the burst pipeline seen here. Here are some close-ups in color, not on military video, but you can see this is what it looks like just from the air. And we've got a couple other photographs of some planes and helicopters that are flying over the surface. And it looks significant, right? I mean, that's a that's a pretty serious leak there. So now that that is uh, happening, many people are wondering, who did it? How did this all happen? Reuters is reporting. They're saying that Europe is investigating this as an attack on the pipelines. You've got the German minister. He says targeted attacks cause the leaks. The Russians say the leak threaten Europe's energy security. Bubbles are churning up on the sea surface. Operator says the damage to the Nord Stream 1 pipeline is completely unprecedented. And this exacerbates the crisis. On Tuesday, Germany, Denmark, and Sweden said the attacks had caused major leaks into the Baltic Sea. Two Russian gas pipelines at the center of the energy standoff now jeopardized. Far from clear, who might be behind the leaks? And we have a poll over at our watchingthewatchers.locals.com community. Reported on Monday that there was could have been some foul play. Nord Stream pipeline that Russia and European partners have spent billions of dollars building. German economy minister Robert Habeck told business leaders the leaks were due to targeted attacks on the infrastructure. And Berlin now knew for sure that they were not caused by natural occurrences or events or material fatigue. Some people were saying that, you know, this could have been a boat anchor that was being dragged along the bottom of the ocean or that, you know, the materials just exploded or something went wrong or there was a shift in the tectonic plates that didn't, you know, who knows. Sweden and Denmark's prime minister said the leaks were clearly caused by deliberate actions with information suggesting sabotage. Poland's premier blamed sabotage, also without citing evidence. 
Russia had already slashed gas deliveries to Europe when the West imposed sanctions. They said sabotage was a possibility as well. Senior Ukrainian official called the incident a Russian attack to destabilize Europe. So the Ukrainians are saying they did it. They said that we see this as an act of sabotage. Sweden's prime minister held a news conference. Seismologists said that they had registered two powerful blasts on Monday in the vicinity of the leaks. So there were explosions, bombs went off, and even the seismologists could pick it up. The signals do not resemble signals from earthquakes. They do resemble signals typically recorded from blasts, the Geological Survey of Denmark said. Seismologists also said that it corresponds with a bigger explosion to more than 100 kilograms of dynamite, saying the blasts were in the water and not under the seabed. So they dropped some big old bombs on top of them. Pipelines have been flashpoints for quite some time. You can see this is where the expected explosions took place. Two leaks reported on Nord Stream 1, and then on September 27th, or on September 26th, the day before, a big leak reported on Nord Stream 2. So taking out both of those pipelines that come from Russia down into Germany, both taken out. We saw some of the photos there, and there has been a lot of political tumult over these Nord Stream pipelines. You can see Wikipedia gave us some uh, information on this said that these were supposed to be in service or supposed to be coming into service, but had not entered service yet. Completed back in September 2021, but not entered service yet. It was mired in political controversy with fears that Russia would use it for geopolitical advantage. So there were the two pipelines. And as Reuters showed us, one of them was built first, Nord Stream 1, obviously. That was the subject of a lot of political debate. Remember, the Russians were fueling much of Europe with their oil and their gas. But then after the uh, invasion of Ukraine started, they started to taper back that flow. And they blamed a lot of this on mechanical problems. They said, hey, the Canadians have our uh, engines and, and the tools we need, and we can't get this oil flowing unless you unleash the sanctions. And so now it looks like both of these pipelines are down. They were opening up Nord Stream 2 to double the capacity, sort of a parallel pipeline running in parallel with Nord Stream 1. But both of those now are uh, out. And there was a lot of political debate over this. There were ruptures that took place. There were all sorts of opposition and political opposition from many people in Europe. Nord Stream 2 was facing opposition from Western politicians outside of Germany, like maybe in the United States. They saw it as an instrument of Russian influence. President of the European Council said that it's not in the EU's interest. Some claim that the project violates the EU's laws. A letter by lawmakers John McCain and Marco Rubio also criticized the project in July 2016. Germany and Austria criticized the United States Senate over new sanctions. And there has just been a whole you know, slew of problems with this pipeline for a long, long time. And there are very interesting clips roaming around the interwebs. President Joe Biden now clips surfacing of him supporting the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline, saying that if Russia even thinks about invading, it's going to be taken out. Let me answer the first question first. If Germany, if uh, if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the uh, the, the border. What's going to happen? Tell uh, us. Again, then uh, there will be uh, we there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. We will bring it into it. 
What? How will you? How will you do that? Exactly, since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control. We will. Uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. What? I promise you, we will be able to do it with that little smirk. Huh, very interesting question from somebody in the media saying, what are you talking about, Joe? You don't control the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. That's between Russia and Germany. Who do you think you are? If the Germans want it built, they want it built. What are you going to do about it? And control of the project is within Germany's control. We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. Hmm. Very, very interesting statement from the president. Making many, leading many to believe maybe the U.S. was behind the pipeline explosions. Victoria Nuland, another Biden administration acolyte, said in prior times that if there is an invasion by the Russians, Nord Stream 2 is gone. Um, With regard to Nord Stream 2, uh, we continue to have uh, very strong and clear conversations uh, with our German allies. Mm -hmm. I want to be clear with you today. Mm -hmm. If Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. One way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward one way or another. One way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Okay, so I guess is the one potential way to bomb the pipeline? I guess that's one potential outcome. Now, some people, it's not just the United States who are saying that the United States did this. In fact, this is the member of the European Parliament who is thanking the United States openly. He posted this on Twitter, posting a picture of the leak in the Baltic Sea saying, thank you, USA. Thank you for doing this. And this guy is a British MEP. I'm sorry, he is, where is he from? Well, I don't know where he's from. He is a senior fellow at Harvard though. Radic Sikorsky member of the European Parliament, and he said, thank you, United States. He also wrote, by the way, there's no shortage of pipeline capacity from taking gas from Russia to Western Europe, including Germany. Nord Stream's only logic was for Putin to be able to blackmail or wage war on Eastern Europe with impunity. And he posted that right after he said thank you. So he's just, I think, very thankful that the United States took out a pipeline that he thinks gives Europe a weak advantage against Russia. Very interesting times we're living in. Uh, I guess, was that, a NATO, was that a NATO operation to take out those pipelines? I don't know. But that is what happened there in Nord Stream. And it seems like this is just going to continue to uh, heat up and escalate over there in Europe. We'll continue to follow. And thank you for liking this video. Thank you for supporting the work that we do with a subscribe. And I look forward to seeing you on the next one. All right, my friends. Well, that is it for the segments. Now it's time to jump into your questions and comments. And we covered a lot of ground today. We covered some Nord Stream stuff, went international a little bit. We talked about some domestic issues with Hurricane Ian and our friends out there in Florida, that one Florida man. And we also had some updates on the Trump saga. 
and the new filings that came in from the government prosecutors about the extension of time. And also Trump's got some pretty hard deadlines coming up here at the end of the week, which we will certainly continue to cover. But now it is time to hear from you, my friends, and to see what those super chats look like that came in today. And by the way, I'm matching all the super chats. They're going all over to Eric's house, which is having its uh, annual fundraiser on October 8th. We had a couple super chats come in here. Uh, let's see here. Alt lag says Twitter nuked Ricada's account. What? Haven't heard of him. Oh, I've definitely heard of Nick. Oh, I've talked to Nick. Uh, think Howard Stern with a law degree and a sense of humor. Sound good. Sign up on locals for free. Yeah, I encourage you go over. Uh, Ricada is right next door. Uh, I think it's ricadalaw.locals.com. I think he's right over there. I encourage you go over there. Did they like, did they nuke him? Like, man, that's <sighs> poor Nick. He just caught back from a second suspension. I'm looking, I'm looking at on Twitter right now. What happened to, to, to Nick? Uh, is he here? No, account <laughs> suspended. These sons of bees. Oh God, it makes me so freaking mad. All right, here, uh, let's pull this up. Look, he's right. It's suspended. It's totally suspended. What an absolute joke. For what? What? They won't accept his appeal. The truth is this, is this over the, I can't even believe this. This is out of, this is out of control. Look, here's, here it is. Account suspended. What a joke. My gosh. All right. You know, that's the second time that we've been on this show and, and somebody has informed me that Nick Ricada has gotten suspended. The last time I learned about, about Nick was somebody said Nick's suspended on YouTube. Oh my gosh. It's not good. It's not, it's really not good, but you know, people are, people are going to be leaving in droves. I just saw that Russell Brand is leaving. He's got five point, almost 6 million subscribers. He said he's rumble first now. So, you know, uh, that's all good news. So uh, honor our friend, Nick, Nick Ricada, check out ricadalaw.locals.com and follow him over on rumble and follow him everywhere. Well, everywhere you follow me, basically go follow Nick Ricada. He's well worth the follow. All right. Let's see what else we had here. Uh, Twitter nuked Ricada's account. Uh, maybe sunshine sent in a dono. All this is going over to Eric's house doubled. So that's 20 over to Eric's house. Maybe. Thank you very much. SR Dempsey says, how does one challenge an inventory list like this unless Trump prepared a list of each box ahead of time, especially if these boxes were packed by the GSA? Seems like a waste of time. It's a good point there, uh, SR Dempsey. You know, it's a good question. I don't know if Trump, Trump may not be able to challenge them, right? If he doesn't have inventory lists, like if he doesn't know what was in the boxes or nobody has inventory lists on his end, like if these were just a bunch of boxes, you're kind of stuck, to be honest. Uh, it's not a good position to be in. But it's a good question. And thank you for the dono. All going over to Eric's house. Diano Hex with another one. No question. But thank you, Diano. I appreciate you there. Uh, Disenchanted Truth saying, don't forget, Rob is matching donos to Eric's house right now. That's right. So that's 40 from Disenchanted Truth going over to Eric's house. I got to be honest. I was a little bit surprised yesterday on the uh, on the amount of support. I was like, man, this is this is a lot. Yeah. But I'm grateful for it. And we're, you know, it's okay. If I go broke, it's all for Eric's house. It's, it's, it's important. Says, Rob, you're too funny. There is no shame in your game. Love it. Keep up the great work from Arkansas. <laughs> there is true. That is true. I don't really have, uh, there is no shame in my game. That's right. We go out and we hit it hard, baby. And that's just what it, that's just what it is. That's just what it comes down to. 
we hit it hard. We play hard. All right. Uh, not as hard as some other channels, though. You know, we're, we're, we're polite here. It's dinner table manners, manners here on this show. All right. We're opening up the watching the watchers dot locals community chat. And we're scrolling down to the bottom. Salty Scotch with a big dono. I got to match that one, too. Thank you, Salty. It's a good one. It's a good one to match. Love matching those big donos. Thank you very much. He says, thank you, Rob. Thank you, Salty. All right. So we're scrolling down to the bottom on locals. And let's see what we've got over here while this is loading up. Uh, Here, Garbanzo Viejo says, are we trying to start a nuclear war? Uh, Maybe. Yes. Jason says, that's what I'm saying. And Vienticus says, yes. Yeah. It seems it could very well be that way. Here, Jason on blast says Biden guaranteed in a press conference in February this year that if Russia invaded, there's not going to be Nordstrom too. And we played that clip saying, is it a possible false flag by Russia? I think the simple answer is Biden did it. And nothing is done without a cause. I believe it is a responsive escalation by both the U.S. and NATO because Russia proceeded with their fake election to annex the whole part of Ukraine. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, and so we actually had, a, we put a poll over here on locals. Let's see what the poll says. Uh, we wanted to see what the what the thoughts were on who blew up the pipeline. Uh, let's see here. Oh, wow. Yeah, here's the votes. <laughs> here it is. It's not even close. Uh, who took out the pipeline? Russians, 4.9%. The Ukrainians, 2.4%. NATO, 9.8%. NATO and the U.S. 65.9%. Oh, 17% saying other. We just don't know who it could be. So, all right. Well, that's interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, they said it. Joe Biden said it. We're going to take it out one way or the other. Emotional old cat lady says, Rob, this is uh, this kind of deliberate attack on the pipeline could only have been carried out using special forces, Navy divers, or submarine. I'm guessing it's the U.S., right? And that's sort of why... You say to yourself, you know, it can't be the Ukrainians, for example, unless it's the Ukrainians working with the U.S., right? September 20, because, I mean, who has interest in this, right? Who might, who might have the most interest in severing the ties between Russia and Europe? I don't know. It's a good question. I think a lot of people have interest in that. September 22nd, Bloomberg article says Russia's security service said it thwarted a planned Ukrainian attack on infrastructure, delivering energy to Turkey and to Europe. Yeah, look at this puzzle. Ukraine Ukraine used to be a choke point for Russian gas, but the expansion and the construction of new pipelines has reduced its importance as a transit point. Yeah, right. And so, right, maybe maybe you could say that Ukraine or, or people who want to be the choke point of gas would have an interest in uh, eliminating alternative routes, I guess would be one way to interpret that. Interesting post there from emotional old cat lady here. Oh gosh, what is this one? Oh gosh, troll master John Garvey's here sniffing the sniffers. Oh gosh, oh gosh, I'm going to have nightmares. (laughs) I'm going to have nightmares. Oh, that's not any good. Oh, what's happening here? buffering why is it buffering here let me check my chats uh all right the the cache is building back up we had a little bit of a buffer problem for some reason 
Yeah, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing YouTube is not, hmm. All right, it should fix itself here in a minute. Yeah, it's building back. It, it should fix itself here in a minute, I think. But yeah, YouTube is freezing. All right. Well, we're going to keep going on, but you can see this. Sniffing. I don't know what is happening. Let's see. Looks like everywhere. Tracy O'Shea says major lag. Hey, it's not my computer. I have my, uh, I have my, uh, task, task manager open so I can see it's not, uh, <laughs> it's not on my, I don't think it's on my end. Although it could be, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, is this working? Can you guys hear me? Is YouTube there? Can anybody hear me? I don't know if anybody can even hear me. It doesn't look like it's working on my end now, unfortunately. Hmm. Let me try a couple things. We'll see if I can diagnose what's going on. Buffering on YouTube, 90 second buffer. That's weird. Uh, all right, well, let's do this. Let's leave it here. We'll do a, a follow-up. We got through a full show. Let's, we'll, uh, we'll leave it here and we'll come on back tomorrow uh, for the locals comments. We'll finish those up over on locals, but we'll leave it right there, my friends. Not sure what happened on the rest of the program or what happened on YouTube, but if you can still hear me, we're gonna leave it right there. I'm gonna say a thank you to everybody on another uh, on another show we're going to leave it right there have a tremendous night my friends i'll see you all on the next one bye bye